G'day, and thanks for joining us for this week's Two Ticks Town Talk, a segment of the Australia Talks podcast. I'm DK. And I'm RD. Please enjoy this segment from the regular podcast. Okay, this week's Two Tick Town Talk is, um, well, what attracted me to this town was that uh, I was there only the other week. So listeners may recall I had it. Say again. I said, oh, cool. Oh, oh cool. <laughs> I thought you were surprised at something already. Uh, listeners may recall that I had a, a trip up to Cape York and I noted down this town to see if it had some inf- interesting information for the Two Ticks Town talk. Um, the town we're talking about is Laura in Queensland, not to be confused with Laura in uh, South Australia. Um, and what caught my attention about Laura was some Aboriginal mythology connected to the area. There's a couple other details there, a couple of little interesting ones that, or ones that I found uh, interesting as well. And just before I get into the about Laura, you mentioned that with the the crocs at the camping site. Last time we were up that way, there was a, a pub uh, that did like you know, a good hamburger and. Uh, you know, counter meal types of things. We thought, oh, looking forward to that. And the bloke, uh, my mate that I was going up there with, had just looked ahead because he's one of these organised people, thank God, uh, <laughs> to see what it was. Uh, turns out that the bloke who owned the pub had been out on a fishing trip with a mate and a croc got him. And unfortunately, got him, got him. Oh, um, no. Yeah, so he was. Uh, they they shot a couple of crocs and you know, found uh, found his remains in both of them, um, and so consequently the the pub was closed. Um, which <laughs> it, it turns that's terms a tragedy of in of itself. <laughs> yeah, I know it's, it's coming out of my mouth. I mean, you know, people people probably appreciate the humour of it in some ways, but uh, yeah, look, there's a little memorial to him in there, and I thought, oh God, you know that's. You never know. You never so, know. So, Laura. Uh, a little bit about Laura. It's a rural town in the Shire of Cook, Queensland, a uh, population of 228 people. Uh, that's up on the Cape York Peninsula in far north Queensland, as I mentioned. Uh, it's on the Peninsula Development Road, the only road that extends towards the north of the peninsula, terminating at Weeper. Uh, Aboriginal people, unsurprisingly, have made their home in the Laura River Valley for at least 50,000 years, uh, and in the wet season, they would camp under rock shelters and caves on the high ground. Uh, the area was on the borders of the Kokowara and Kokojawa lands. Uh, Taipan is uh, the Aboriginal language spoken in the area, though there's a whole... Uh, there seems to be quite a a lot of uh, different nations uh, around there. So before we move on to the main part, there was one part that I thought was interesting to touch on, on the history of the locality, and that was the um, resistance by Aboriginal people up there. In 1873, gold was discovered on the Palmer River, and then travellers came from Cooktown to the Palmer Goldfields across the Laura River at Laura, and this was a particularly violent period, as up there, the local Aboriginal clans, uh, they waged a war of resistance 
against their land being taken and the encroachment of the, the Europeans. There's a 2004 paper that I found called Battle Camp to Baralga, a local study of colonial war on Cape York Peninsula, 1873 to 1894 by Nolene Cole. And she had the following commentary. Uh, As predicted, the forces of nature and Aboriginal resistance wreaked havoc on the miners. Edward Palmer of Gambula Station later reflected, the golden used from the far north diggings was of a most glittering nature, but there was a reverse side in the hardships and privations endured. A major reverse side was the disaster of race relations. So following well-entrenched patterns in Queensland, the process of colonisation became a cross-cultural struggle with the features of a situation of war. So in analysing the nature of the Cooktown-Palmer region, historians have identified as key issues uh, the devastating environmental and cultural impacts of alluvial mining, the failure of the Queensland government to avoid an established pattern of conflict, the intensity and duration of the Aboriginal resistance, uh, various impacts of mining, and the role of the native mounted police. So from that paper and other reasons, readings, the level of resistance by the local Aboriginal people was, was unexpected, and despite the possession of rifles by the Europeans, they were hardly um, one-sided battles. And on various episodes of this podcast, we've had stories of these type of resistance uh, and different uh, particular Aboriginal uh, resistance fighters. So personally, I don't think it gets enough attention when Australian history is discussed. And I thought I just... Let's stood out to me that it wasn't just a move in, it was <laughs> really, it was very hard, very hard fought. Um, but I also thought it was interesting too that the, the resistance was such that they had to uh, bring in the native mounted police. So native mounted police uh, camp was established near the lower law crossing to protect travellers. Now, when I look that up, there's a, look, there's a long history of Australian native police. Well, I'll leave a link in the, the show notes for people who are interested. But here's a brief outline of the, of the units. Uh, Australian native police were specialised mounted military units consisting of detachments of Aboriginal troopers under the command of white officers appointed by colonial governments. They existed in various forms in a colonial Australia in the 19th century and in some cases into the 20th, were primarily used to patrol the often vast geographic areas along the frontier uh, in order to conduct indiscriminate raids and punitive expeditions against Aboriginal people. Uh, this was a God, this was a, a, a hor- horrible sentence. So the native police proved to be a brutally destructive instrument in the disintegration and dispossession of dis uh, of Indigenous Australians. Armed with rifles, carbines, and swords, they were also deployed to escort surveying groups. Now, what they would do is they'd regularly recruit um, Aboriginal people from lands and areas that were really distant to the areas they were deployed. So that's to ensure that they would have you know, very little familiarity with the local people. And so there was less um, less concern about, you know, the, the, the shooting and um, the attacks. 
on on other people there. Look, I suppose humans are going to human, but it was uh, I don't know. It's, it's a certain certain sad aspect of that to me. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um, say what you will about the British and the British colonies, but they certainly knew how to occupy and control uh, local people that had a lot of experience in doing it. Unfortunately, they knew the best ways to do it and the the uh, native police were were part of that plan. They used their own people against each other, which is, you know, a really dark stain. Queensland was particularly bad, as I understand it, compared to other parts yeah. of the country. Um, and it's, yeah, it's definitely a big black stain on, on Queensland's history. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, look, I want to to mention that um, I, I just thought it was it was interesting, particularly as there was such resistance around that area. Uh, what really caught my attention was uh, Laura is in Quinkins country. Uh, a couple of spellings, but the quick the spelling we're using here is Q U I N K A N S Quinkins. Uh, and Quinkins country is on the Australian National Heritage list. Quinkin rock art, uh, and might recall that during the wet season, uh, the locals would shelter, local Aboriginal people would shelter in uh, in caves and, and uh, rock shelters. Uh, Quinkin rock art refers to a large body of local, nationally and internationally significant Aboriginal rock art in Australia of a style characterised by their unique representation of Quinkins, which I thought I've never heard of what mm. Quinkin is found among the sandstone. Now, there's another name you may be more familiar with instead of Quinkins, and that is a Yowie. Ah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought. I thought, ah. Okay, so there's a lot of people, uh, a lot of people in Australia would be more familiar with the term uh, Yowie. So it's one of uh, one of several names for an Australian folklore entity that is reputed to live in the outback. Uh, it's got uh, roots in Aboriginal oral history. So in parts of Queensland, they are known as Quinkins um, and Jugabinas. In parts of New South Wales, they are called Gindaring, Jarawara, Mingowan. Putting it there, actually, there's a whole list of um, names for these Yowie type creatures. They're common in uh, Aboriginal Australian le- uh, legends, particularly around the um, the eastern state. And there's a picture in the uh, Wikipedia one that has a Yowie uh, swallowing a man whole. So oh. <laughs> it's various, various, uh, various uh, versions of them. So it's usually usually described as a hairy and ape-like creature standing upright between 2 and 3.6 metres, so 6 foot to 12 foot tall. Their feet are described as much larger than a human's, but alleged yaoi tracks are inconsistent. Alleged yaoi tracks are inconsistent in shape and toe number. Um the Yowie's nose is described as wide and flat. Now, behaviorally, they're saying some report the Yowie as timid or shy, and others describe the Yowie as sometimes violent or aggressive. So, uh, look, it's, you know, there's many ways to describe it. Uh, 
many uh, of its characteristics. So look, they don't, the, the origin of the name um, to describe it is unclear. Uh, there was a term used in 1875 among the Camilleroy people. Uh, there's another one, uh, where is it? Camilleroy people uh, saying Yowie is a spirit that roams over the earth at night. Some thought uh, it could be from Aboriginal legends of the Yahoo. And another straw story is that the creature is part of the dream time. But what it has done, aside from being with the Aboriginal people, it has also become, uh, had a history of sightings in, um, in the European people. 1987, um, there was a column, uh, who was it, Margaret Jones, wrote that the first Australian Yowie sighting was said to have taken place as early as 1795. Uh, that, so <laughs> it's, it's interesting that you have this, uh, this, this creature has made its way from Aboriginal mythology into Australian mythologies. There's a whole list of um, different sightings, some through the, the 1850s and someone's saying, I saw one here, but there was one. Uh, where did we get here? It was Senator Bill O'Chee. Um, excuse me, list. Yes, that's right. In 1977, former Queensland Senator Bill O'Chee reported to the Gold Coast Bulletin that he had seen a Yowie while on a school trip in Springbrook. Springbrook. O'Chee compared the creature he saw to the character Chewbacca from Star Wars and he told the reporters that the creature he saw had been over three metres tall. So I must admit, it did, it did appeal to me, that, um, that continuation of the, the legend. Um, look, there's a few others there. Again, we'll, we'll leave a, a link in, in there, but you have you know, sightings right up to 2014. And that picture of the Yowie swallowing a person whole, there was another related Aboriginal mythological creature um, because that depiction stood out to me. And when I, when I read its description, I thought, okay, it's not a Yowie, but it's got a, we've got to share this one just because it's, it's <laughs> just a bit bizarre. Now, this one's called the Yaramayawu, and it's a legendary creature found in Australian Aboriginal mythology. Uh, according to the legend, the creature resembles a little red frog-like man with a very big head, a large mouth with no teeth, and suckers on the ends of its hands and feet. It's said to live in fig trees, and instead of hunting food, it described, uh, it's described as waiting for unsuspecting travellers to rest under the tree. The creature then drops down and uses its suckers to drain the victim's blood. After that, it swallows the person, drinks some water, and then takes a nap. And when it wakes up, it regurgitates the victim, leaving them shorter than before. <laughs> <laughs> the victim's skin has a reddish uh, tint to it that it didn't have before, and if this process is repeated, the victim becomes a Yaramayawu themselves. I thought that was a, a, another interesting, frightening one. Uh, but also part of the thing that I'm going to 
add to these sightings is now I haven't told anyone this story before, but reading about the Yowie, I'm going to say I wonder if I might have seen one. Now, yeah, we had a a a pig hunting trip. Oh, God, what was it? Probably about 10-ish years ago. And uh, we're dropping, we're getting dropped off uh, at different points on the property to wait at strategic areas until, uh, well, until after dark. So I was, um, I was there under a tree. Of course, the apostle birds... I don't know if, if if people don't know, there's these birds called apostle birds and they just love to just gather in groups and hang above you, sounding the alarm saying, someone's here, someone's yeah. here. It's, <laughs> it's so bloody annoying. But um, And they don't shut up either. And look, dust, dust started to fall. And as we know, uh, up in north, this happens quickly. Uh, and... The apostle birds just went silent. Oh, that's just a bit odd. And I remember feeling like there was this presence nearby. And when I looked around, I saw about 50 metres away in the bush a shape of what looked like a huge man. Yeah, probably two and a half metres tall. I was a bit freaked out and looked away. You know, if you look away and you don't see it, it's not happening. (laughs) <laughs> but I looked back and I could still make out the shape. Uh, I was getting definitely more freaked out by that stage. But then suddenly had a little bit of feeling of calmness for some reason about it. Turned my head away and then when I looked back, nothing was there. Now, I accept well, it could have been a trick of light. It probably, it probably was. That's probably the the actual reality. Um, But reading this story, maybe, just maybe, it was one of the Quinkins, the Yowies, depicted on the cave walls near this week's Two Ticks Town Talk of Laura in Queensland. That's cool. That's cool. I like... Yeah, I like that. I've I've always loved. Um, I think they call them cryptids, which are like you know the 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 folklore creatures around the world. And obviously, the Yowie is one of them. Yeti, probably the most famous. Um, but there's a lot of ape-like creatures. Uh, there's stories from the Vietnam War where they encountered basically, you know, a, a creature very much described like the Yowie uh, in the jungles and things like that. And I wonder if it's just a bit of human psychology or I don't know, maybe there is something out there. It's it's kind of cool to feel like we don't know everything about the world and things like that. So it is. You sort of you sort of reason it out. You sort of think, well, surely, you know, if there was that there that you know one of them would have been trapped or you know, clearly photographed or something. But I don't know, it's it's I don't know. As you said, maybe it's a psychology thing, maybe it's simply the Mind putting patterns together. Look, for me, I wouldn't be surprised if that was a mind putting, my mind putting a pattern together. But if you had asked me there and then, I would say there is a huge freaking man in the bush. 
<laughs> Maybe it was. What a Maybe it was. <laughs> it was a swag man. <laughs> he got lost. In la- oh no! <laughs> this was this was big uh, because when I was looking at this, I saw the stuff with Laura come through, and then saw there was a, a statue of a, a Yowie, and it was just sort of like a little thing went off in my head, and I thought, oh my god, that's exactly the shape that I saw. Um, or you know, very close to the shape that I. I saw. So, yeah, of course it was one of those funny things I haven't sort of told anyone before. So, <laughs> and now you're telling you an, heard inter- it first. <laughs> an international audience. <laughs> nothing nothing like oversharing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> no, but you're right. That's it. We need an expedition. Get out in the bush. Yeah. This weekend, all of our listeners, I want you to get out there. Find your local cryptid, whatever it is, wherever you are in the world. There's, 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 they're everywhere. There's always stories about creatures in the forests. Get out there, find something, uh, and and have a good time. 